This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Elijah Cage. And I'm Jackie Nguyen. We want to remind you that this program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. Tonight, we focus on the COVID-19 vaccine. We speak with Rabia Khan, a research assistant at the Department of Molecular Genetics and Microbiology at the University of New Mexico, a lab that specializes in vaccine development and has recently focused on the COVID-19 vaccine. And in honor of the 51st anniversary of Earth Day, we'll share a conversation with Arturo Sandoval, a proud New Mexican and one of the original founders of Earth Day. We have put together great music for you. That's right. Starting with the song New Normal by high school senior at Albuquerque's Public Academy for Performing Arts, Mayani, who says that her experience during the pandemic has inspired her new single. Rabia Khan is a research assistant at the Department of Molecular Genetics and Microbiology at the University of New Mexico, a lab that specializes in vaccine development. She holds a Bachelor's of Science in Biochemistry from UNM. The Department of Molecular Genetics and Microbiology has focused its research on the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, Madhumita Santanam speaks with Rabia Khan about the vaccine, misconceptions, and so much more. This is Madhumita Santanam with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Rabia Khan, a research assistant at UNM Hospital and a lab that specializes in vaccine development. Rabia has a Bachelor of Science focused in biochemistry from the University of New Mexico. Rabia, welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you. Yeah, what else would you like to share about yourself? Um, so my name is Rabia Khan. I am currently um, a post-bachelorette research assistant in Bryce Chikarian's lab. We specialize in making vaccine-like particles, which is a new method of developing vaccines, um, which, in which what we do is utilize viruses, that things that look like viruses, but we don't have any viral particulates in them. So when people get these vaccines, they're not reacting to a viral protein. They're just reacting to something that looks like a virus. So um, that's the sort of my work. That's what I do. And I am going to be going back to my master's program starting in the fall of this year. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So tell us more about the lab that you work in. So I work at the Department of Molecular Genetics and Microbiology at the University of New Mexico. Um, the work we do here is related to vaccine development. So we basically take vi uh, virus-like particles, which we generate in the lab, which technically the idea behind it is that 
taking something that looks identical or similar to a virus but does not contain any viral protein or viral DNA whatsoever, and we utilize that as our vehicle in our vaccines, and then we, we will vaccinate um, animals with that and look at their titrans. So the idea is, is that your, your body will recognize this very similar looking virus, but it doesn't have anything that will harm you. So in the future, when your body is exposed to that actual virus, it will know what to do. It's more like an instruction for your immune system. And technically that is what the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are doing. The idea is similar to that. They're utilizing an mRNA vaccine. So they're, they're doing um, more of, they're taking the spike protein of the COVID, SARS-CoV-2. And it's a genetic instruction to your body to generate that part of the protein. But because it doesn't have any virus in it, it's not going to, your body is not going to react in a way where it's the actual virus. It will actually just have an instruction on how to react when you actually have the virus. And at that point, your body will have enough antibodies in which the time period and the time frame in which you have COVID will be cut down and you will actually not react to COVID as badly as you would if you didn't have the vaccine to begin with. That's super interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Your lab focuses on different vaccines, but lately you've been working with the COVID-19 vaccine. Can you talk to us about the different COVID-19 vaccines that are being administered in the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. So, so far, uh, the two major ones are the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. So I sort of talked about that, but so both of the, these vaccines are mRNA-based vaccines, so which is a protein um, that goes in your deltoids in your shoulder. That's where it's encapsulated. That's where um, your body will start reading it from that point onwards. So I know a lot of people are afraid of the fact that your, your, your DNA will change or your body will change because we're giving you this vaccine, um, which I understand the concern, but that's not very true because the mRNA is only gonna go to the cytoplasm, which is completely separate from where your DNA is stored. Your DNA is actually stored in the nucleus. So the mRNA vaccine will never see the DNA. Um, so basically you get this mRNA vaccine uh, you have some immunology that happens, your body recognizes that there is something foreign in you. It then reads that foreign instruction, builds that protein, and then it reacts to that specific protein and gets rid of it in your system. Pfizer and Moderna then basically do a booster, which is your second shot that you get. So your first shot is your initial dose. Your second shot, um, you get it as a booster, same exact concentration, same exact shot, but the second shot is a necessity as an adjuvant to the first shot because it just only increases your react reactogenicity. So a lot of people um, uh, realize that at the second time they get the shot, they react a lot worse than the first time, which is not a bad thing at all. Um, the reason why you're reacting so much to the second one as opposed to the first one is because you already have antibodies from the first one. So because your body already recognizes this protein, it starts to attack it right away. And 
that's the whole idea behind it is that at that point you will have 95% protection after the second dose. Now we look at the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is a little bit different as opposed to the Pfizer and Moderna. AstraZeneca is a vaccine that is attenuated virus. So they're basically taking the actual SARS-CoV-2, they're mutating it into a chimpanzee. So they basically mutate the entire virus and then they attenuate, which means that they lower down the viral particulates. So you need, an, you need a certain amount of viral particulate in order to even get sick with COVID. So if you lower that particulate level down, you will probably not get sick from that. So that's another way to introduce vaccines into the system where yes, there is a virus in there, but it's mutated in a sense where it shouldn't be affecting humans in any way. Would you mind telling us more about the Johnson and Johnson vaccine? Yeah, absolutely. The Johnson and Johnson vaccine uses a different approach to instruct human cells to make SARS-2 spike protein, which then triggers an immune response. It is what's known as the viral vectoroid vaccine. It's a harmless adenovirus from a large family of viruses, some of which causes the common colds, has been engineered to carry the genetic code for the spike to, uh, SARS-2 spike protein. So once the adenovirus enters your cells, then they, um, then they use that code to make the spike protein. Johnson & Johnson employs the same approach to make other vaccines that have been approved before, such as the Ebola vaccine that they were authorized for use in European medicine agencies and stuff. Thank you for sharing that. I never really thought about all of this stuff like in depth. So thank you for sharing that. And I know you kind of talked about it a little bit, but how does the vaccine work? So the vaccine, you basically, let's think about it in this way. Um, any vaccine, it's like a personal trainer for your immune system. So basically you have an immune system. Um, it doesn't know anything about this SARS-CoV-2. It could be any, any virus that you're thinking about. It doesn't know anything about it. The whole point behind your immune system is uh, protection for yourself, right? So anything that doesn't look like you, it's gonna go attack that thing, correct? So, that's just how the vaccines work is that we generate as humans these things that will not harm you, but they'll be enough for your, um, for your immune system will finally go and recognize that there's something foreign in us. It then goes and attacks that. And the minute it starts attacking that, it starts building something called an immunological memory. And immunological memory is necessary for um, the onset of an actual virus. So let's say that someone gets vaccinated by SARS-CoV-2's vaccine, right? So someone gets hypothetically vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine, they get their first and second dose. And then let's say they're exposed to COVID. Uh, the minute the COVID virus goes into their system, it will start to cut it down right away because it's going to recognize that, okay, we have this virus in us. We have been exposed to it before, so I'm just going to start to cut, start cutting it down. Thank you. So after someone receives like the full dose of the vaccine, what are some of the health safety precautions that we still need to take? So we still need to 
wear our masks, we still need to wash our hands, we still need to stay our six feet distance. Um, these are the things, this is ne necessary because you don't know who has gotten the vaccine and who hasn't, right? So to build that herd immunity, we want everybody to get vaccinated, but because we're not sure how much of the population is vaccinated so far, we still wanna protect our vulnerable people. So like I said before, that if you get the COVID vaccine and you are exposed to COVID, you probably wouldn't react to it very badly. You're probably gonna get rid of it very quickly. But we don't understand the transmission at this point. Let's say you do get it, are you still able to give it to a vulnerable individual? We, are, we don't understand that right now. So because we don't understand that right now, we just ask that we still are keeping other people safe, right? So we're still staying our six feet away. We're still wearing our masks so that people that are not vaccinated are still being protected against us. Thank you for sharing that. I think like myself and many others are probably confused on like how to like function after we get the vaccine. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can go, we're, we're ready to go back to normalcy once we hit that um, herd immunity phase. But until we get there, we have to still follow these healthcare rules. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Um, what are some of the misconceptions about COVID, about the COVID-19 vaccine? There's, um, so there's quite a few misconceptions, correct? So I'm gonna hit like the major few ones that I've been hearing randomly here and there. So the first one is that the vaccines have been rushed. So there is absolutely no safety step that was cut down when these vaccines were approved. So the backbones of these vaccines that the mRNA and the viral vector already existed, right? So mRNA ther therapies have been used in human trials for over five years safely. And then trials just moved faster by streamlining logistic steps and the funding was prioritized. So that's why we saw it happen a lot sooner, but there was no cut down in any safety measures. Um, the other misconception is the side effects. People are not sure how soon or how late or is it months out that I'll, I'll still have side effects from the vaccine. So vast majority of the side effects from the vaccine are happen very, very quickly. So majority are within hours, but more side, more rare side effects can happen up to six weeks later, right? So those are very, very rare side effects. And we haven't seen those happen in majority of patients, right? So the clinical trials for COVID-19 vaccine started back in March of 2020. And uh, so if there was actually such a big concern, we would have seen them up to now, right? So the biggest side effects that happens from vaccines is this thing called Guillain-Barre syndrome which is a neurosystem, neuro nervous system disease. And that can happen three months after the vaccine. But since we have seen clinical trials since March, 2020, so far we would have seen GBS occur in, in individuals that have received these vaccines and we haven't. Um, the other thing is MR uh, vaccines that are alternating DNA. So like I talked about this before, mRNA vaccines do not alter any human DNA. It doesn't, it's just, a posted node is temporary template that your cells utilize to generate protein and your DNA remains untouched. Um, the other miss, not a misconception, but a question is are fetal cells used in the, the generation of these vaccines? 
uh, fetal cell lines are not used in mRNA vaccines at all, so such as the Pfizer and Moderna. Some vaccines that do contain the weakened or inactivated viruses require growing these cells, and they may have used fetal cells, um, but they're like 30 years ago, some uh, fetal cells that were used are um, in some of those vaccines, but not in the mRNA vaccines at all. Um, and I think another misconception is, why should I get the vaccine if I already got COVID? And I that one again is, you. so you don't know, because it's somewhat like, we already know what we expect when we get the vaccine, right? We kind of already know, like, this is how many antibodies you're going to form. This is how much protection you have against the virus. And it's a very defined uh, data set. But when you already got COVID, we, we don't know, like, if you even had that many antibodies to begin with, or how long you have those antibodies for before you are exposed again, and you will get deathly sick again. And the other thing is herd immunity. So because we want to protect this population, we want to make sure again that we are very consistent on how much um, on how much we know about this data point. Um, and then there is why get why would I get the vaccine if I'm high risk? Um, again, same thing. Our herd immunity enables us to produce a consistent immune response uh, instead of a variable response that occurs in natural infections. Um, and I think those are the biggest six or seven I could think of that a lot of people had uh, questions on. Um, so what will the vaccine change? What will the vaccine change? The vaccine um, will help us curb the pandemic. But, you know, so of course, we're trying our hardest to go back to our normal life where we can go back and see strangers in coffee shops and go back and talk to our friends and families and travel the world or whatever we want to do. And those things can be enabled once we start getting this vaccine and it will help us. It will help us be less vulnerable because right now in without a vaccine, you are in a very vulnerable state. A, a virus is very, very smart, right? So once you put yourself out there, it's not going to leave you alone. It's going to get into your system and it's going to start um, uh, mutating. It's going to start doing all these things that you don't want it to do. But if you're vaccinated, you can more, you know, you'll have more of a spot where you can go out, you can be in the public, you can start doing those things again. For sure, and I hope things do get back to normal and we can all like do go on with our lives. Um, can you talk about the variants of the virus? Yeah, so the variants in um, a virus, so basically the virus's variants is something that's changing in this virus, right? So um, the viruses, again, they're very part of a very smart group of we say they're not living, but honestly, I think they're living because they're, they, they change upon realizing that they're being um, targeted against. So when they start realizing that, okay, we have gone through a bunch of people, they've infected a bunch of people, they've killed a bunch of people, we're now getting vaccinated. So we're kind of getting rid of this thing, right? But it needs to survive. It still needs a human host to survive. So what it starts doing, it's basically start variating itself where um, sort of like a natural selection deal where it'll change some part of itself 
and try to trick your um, body into thinking that it's something different. So let's say that um, you're, you are vaccinated with this Pfizer vaccine and you have a very specific mRNA code in you that you are being protected against, correct? Now, if the if the um, SARS-CoV-2 changes enough in which the Pfizer uh, vaccine does not provide immunity against that, where it changes enough in a sense that um, it changes the spike protein altogether, the Pfizer vaccine is not going to be effective, right? But what we're seeing so far, and this is back in evolution as well, right? So something doesn't change overall that quickly. So it will start changing, sure, but it will not change in a sense where it will change so much that all these vaccines that we have in play right now will not be enough for them, right? So that's why we are, as scientists, we as um, doctors and stuff, we are pushing people to, if, you're, you, if you can go get the vaccine, go get the vaccine, because we don't want you to be the vulnerable person that gets a variant of this, if of this SARS-CoV-2. And um, the good thing about the mRNA vaccines, which I keep hitting back to Pfizer and Moderna, but the good part about these vaccines is that once they're made, the vaccines, once they're made, once they're approved, it's very easy and very simple for this group of people that made them to go back and change that spike protein. So let's say that there was a switch in spike big enough for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine to no longer be effective against the new variant. These scientists, these engineers can now go back and they use, utilize the same exact way they made the first vaccine. And then they'll just go back and change that amino acid code, which let's say it went from lysine to proline. It's a, it's a change in amino acid. They can just go back and make that change and come back with the same vaccine. Um, it's a little bit more challenging for vaccines such as the AstraZeneca vaccine that utilizes the actual live virus. It'll be a little bit more challenging for them to change that out. But yeah, so, so far we're doing good. <laughs> Sure, and thank you for sharing that. I like you said though. Um, I'm so happy that doctors and um, scientists are actually pushing people to get the vaccine. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, where can people find more information about the vaccine, and where can they register to get vaccinated here in New Mexico? So you can find um, all this information on CDC. You can find it on WHO. And uh, to get vaccinated here, it's the New Mexico Department of Health, which they're giving out vaccines and you sign up on their website. They will then send you a code and you will apply that code and make a reservation or to go get that vaccine. Thank you for sharing that. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I think I would just like to add that uh, be skeptical, but also be informative, like go and seek answers for things that you are afraid of, or people that may be afraid of certain vaccines. Um, I think as humans, it's okay. It's a common sentiment to be afraid and to have skepticism, but it's there's so much information in today's world that we can go reach out, um, talk to a scientist, talk to a doctor, look online and educate yourself before you make a choice to get this vaccine. 
but it is a very essential necessity in our life right now. And I would encourage everyone to go out and register for it. That'll be it. Thank you so much for. Of course, thank you for being here and talking to me. I'm, thank you for just being here and sharing about the vaccine. I honestly did not know anything about the vaccine, to be really honest. I knew like the basics, but I'm glad that you went in depth about everything. Of course, I, it's my pleasure. Thank you. For Generation Justice, I'm Madhumita Santana. Rabia, with this new vaccine, misinformation can easily be spread. Suspicions can arise and people can freak out. It's important to have our trust in experts like you. I like how you acknowledge the misconceptions of the new vaccine and refuted them with correct information from your studies and expertise. Thank you, Rabia, for your time and information. Thank you again, Rabia. I learned more about what you do and what your lab focuses on. And thank you for reminding us that if there was something wrong with the vaccine, experts would already know. Rabia, to honor your work and all frontline workers, we bring Not About You, a song about mask wearing by Santa Fe artist Jay Hennigan. She says my hair's a mess and my nails are bare. Can't find a store open anywhere. This mask doesn't go with my outfit today And you can't make me wear it anyway Well, sister, wake up, you'll see when you do It's not about you In April of 1970, six young community organizers from around the country came together and launched the very first Earth Day. One of those organizers is native New Mexican and lifelong activist, Arturo Sandoval. Tonight, we share a conversation with Arturo, who is the founder of the Center of Southwest Culture, which supports healthy indigenous and Latino communities through economic development, education, and cultural work. In this 2012 interview, longtime GJ member, Victor Torres spoke with Arturo about his experience organizing the very first Earth Day. Hello, my name is Victor Torres with Generation Justice. I'm here today with Arturo Sandoval, a native New Mexican and founder and president of the Center of Southwest Culture. He was also the Western Regional Coordinator of the very first Earth Day. Arturo, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes, I'm a native of New Mexico, as you mentioned earlier, born and raised in northern New Mexico to a very large family. Uh, but at a very early age, uh, I became very concerned about a lot of uh, critical issues facing our country. And I think that was the process of being in uh, college, coming of age at the age of 18, 19. The fact that I actually uh, came to university in a period of great uh, upheaval and excitement in the country. There was the uh, anti-war Vietnam movement. There was the black civil rights movement. Uh, there was the Chicano movement starting the Chicano civil rights movement. Uh, there was the women's rights movement uh, starting. So uh, as a young man, it was incredible to be able to see all these different uh, movements happening. And I got really engaged in all of those issues at a very young age. So uh, that's how I came to Earth Day. 
I saw that there was really a holistic approach to all of the issues we were facing that I believe that uh, a lot of the same uh, people that caused uh, bad housing or that were polluting rivers and, and companies like that were basically the same people that were discriminating against people because of the color of their skin or exploiting people for for personal profit. So to me, I didn't see a difference between the women's rights movement, the Chicano civil rights movement, the black civil rights movement, or in this case, what emerged as the environmental movement. And you also um, founded the Center of Southwest Culture. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, I founded the Center of Southwest Culture about 21 years ago. And the reason I founded the center was I wanted to have a formal institutional setting, a way for me to be able to impact communities, to build uh, healthy communities, especially in underserved communities, especially Latino and Native American communities. So the center uh, works to create healthy people and healthy communities, mostly uh, in what we call the greater Southwest. So that means uh, northern Mexico and the greater U.S. Southwest. And we do it through economic development. We do it through cultural and educational programs. So I've been at that formally for 21 years, but I've actually been engaged in building community for about 46 years since I was a young man of about 18. Well, that's amazing that you have been at it that long. On the very first day, you were quoted as saying, we are going to make people understand that the kind of things that cause air pollution and water pollution are the same kinds of things that cause poverty, that cause hunger in this country. What did you mean by that? And is it still true today? Yes, and I, again, I think what I meant by that was that the same kind of uh, values, the same kind of values that would uh, make people think that it's all right to pollute the planet, that to use our very limited water resources with no uh, interest or concern about the consequences of how they're destroying these very critical resources of land and air and water for the simple purpose of creating personal wealth are the same core group of people or the same people who share the value that think it's okay to exploit people. And if you if you think it's okay to do, exploit both the natural resources of the planet, I believe you're the same kind of person person that thinks it's okay to exploit people because of the color of their skin or because they have a disability or because they're a woman. So I believe that then and I think and that's why I got so deeply engaged in Earth Day and organizing the first Earth Day, but it's why I continue to do the work because I know that the problems we had 42 years ago in Earth Day are just as bad if not worse. In some areas we've improved and in other areas it's gotten worse. I think that is still going on today, and I think we have made a lot of improvements. And there seems to be a lot going on around the country. Can you tell me what else was going on and why people really wanted to make a day and really wanted to bring environmental issues? Well, it was a period of great activism, as I told you, with the black civil rights movement, the Chicano civil rights movement, the women's movement. So people were already very active. And the idea of spending a day... Uh, on behalf of the earth, demonstrating on behalf of the earth really resonated at that point in America. So on Earth Day, there were more than 20 million people out doing peaceful, 
positive activities all over the country. More than 20 million Americans turned out, and it's still the single largest uh, civil action in the history of the United States. So I'm very proud to have been a very small part of that. But what happened then, the reason that people responded is, for example, we were polluting all of our rivers. Our rivers are actually catching fire. I forget which river it was. that Maybe it was in Pittsburgh or in Ohio where there was a chemical company putting so many chemicals out there that one night uh, there was a fire started on a little boat and the whole river looked like the water was burning because it had so many chemicals. And I think that image went across the country and it startled people into thinking, oh my God, I mean, is it is that the level we've gotten to? So as a result of Earth Day, a lot of major initiatives were enacted at the national level. So uh, the Clean Air and Water Act was passed. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, was started. There was just a whole bunch of formal legislation that was passed unanimously by bipartisan support in in both houses of Congress and by then-President Nixon, of all people. And we were able to clean up the rivers and make our air a lot safer. So in that way, we've we've gotten really good. The long-term deficit, the things we didn't realize was that that value, that negative, what I call a negative value, that people think they can enrich themselves personally at the expense of everyone else on the planet, continues to be a very dominant theme in most capitalist systems. So it's unfortunate that that's still there. Now we're facing uh, global warming, and, and, you know, the planet really is in peril. And and you never want to just, you don't want to say, oh, the planet's dying. But there's serious issues, and we really need to address them. And the first Earth Day has not, obviously, not solved that problem. So it's important for all of us, especially youth, to really get involved at a local level in trying to figure out how can I help just every day in some small way? What's one little thing I can do every day that makes the planet healthier? Yeah, I think it's important to keep on because we have to live on this planet and it's our duty to take care of it and to make sure that we're doing all we can. Absolutely. And I think we're all connected. And I've always thought, Victor, that I've always thought back to my great-grandfather, who was named Leonardo Sanchez. He was a land-grant member in in the Tecolote land-grant in San Miguel County in northern New Mexico. And he was an activist in fighting against the encroachment, the fact that their common lands, their Mexicano lands, were being stolen by outside people who wanted to take their land for their own purposes. It's the same thing that's happening with when you pollute a river. You're taking something that does not belong to you for your own personal gain. And he was what they called the Goras Blancas. They were... They were fighters against this encroachment, and my grandfather was one of those people. So that was a hundred more than a hundred years ago, 120, 30 years ago. Yeah. But I see myself as part of a long connection of people in history. So my role is to do my part in my lifetime and to honor my grandfather by my work and to encourage my children. And now I have a beautiful new one-year-old grandson. Is I need to pass along the torch to him so that he understands that it's that it's important that he work to save the planet and to work for peace and justice. Well, that's great, and I'm glad there's people out there like you that are, are trying to pass on the torch for future generations. Well, and I likewise think it's wonderful that there's people like you in Generation Justice that actually care enough at a young age to really want to make a difference. And not only do you want to, you actually are doing it at a much younger age than I was. So that's really... That's really fantastic. It makes me feel very proud to know that the younger generation does care and the younger generation is engaged. And I think you guys are a lot smarter than we are. I don't think we had Wheaties when I was a kid, and you guys do. So 
I can tell you guys are a lot sharper than we were back in the day. Well, thank you for saying that. And so what can people still do to help in environmental issues? Well, you know, it's such a huge problem that you think when you look at it, if you just started reading national media, you would think, well, there's nothing I can do. The problems are too big. But that's not true. There's something you can do every day here locally. If you're living in Albuquerque or in Santa Rosa or in Taos or in Española or in Las Cruces, there's something you can do as a human being. There's great energy that each human has, and we can expend that energy in a positive way locally, doing things locally. So there's a lot of things you can do. You can start by just changing your lifestyle a little bit to use less water every day. We live in a desert. That would be good. But there's a lot of things you can do. You can lobby your legislators. You can write letters to the editor when you see issues and you want them to uh, do something about it. You can organize like Generation Justice does. You organize with other young people and you go meet with people that are in power and you say, this has to change. And I think that does have impact. I know it does have impact because in my own life, I have seen people change uh, behaviors just because they were they got organized and they stayed at it and they did the work. Each of us in our own village, our own town, our own city, each of us can change the world for the better. Yes, I think that's important um, that the younger generation um, know what is going on and um, just so they can be able to change things and to help out in their communities. So I think that's important. Like you said, everybody can make a difference, so I think that's very profound. Um, listeners that haven't really been involved in our day, why would you encourage them? I don't like to be an alarmist, but I do think the earth is under enormous stress because of human actions, and I think those actions can be curtailed. We have the power as as intelligent human beings to to stop the kinds of activities we're doing now that are really putting a huge amount of stress on the system, on the planet's system. So as long as we have a choice and that it's still not too late, I think all, everybody has an opportunity to get involved in trying to convince those people in power that are creating these issues and these problems that they need to stop. And we can do it. And you, it doesn't require an armed struggle or an armed revolution. It requires people really committed to the issues and people willing to devote their life. Because I started Earth Day in, in 42 years. I helped start Earth Day 42 years ago. But the struggle goes on. I have to do something every day. And I do something every day. I try to commit myself every day to make the planet a better place. So is that, like you said, people can make a difference and you just have to be deeply engaged. And is there anything else you would like to add? No, I just, I'm very hopeful and I'm very hopeful for the next generation. And I'm, as I say, I'm honored to be, uh, to know the, all of the, uh, a lot of the people in Generation Justice. You're all really brilliant young people. And I feel better, I sleep better at night knowing that you guys are out here actually uh, trying to change the world in a positive way. It makes me feel a lot better about the future of the planet. Okay, thank you, and thank you for being a role model to us. You then, thank you for being in your community, working hard to make a difference. So thank you for your time, and I really enjoyed this interview. And I likewise, thank you so much. Thank you, Arturo, for your awareness and love for the earth. The way you would explain that you want people to understand how their actions create consequences is something most people don't think about. So I want to say thank you for your caring for the wonderful place we live 
and grow in. Thank you, Mr. Sandoval, for sharing the history of the very first Earth Day. Your interview made me realize that Earth Day is more than planting trees for a day. To celebrate Earth Day, here is Michael Jackson's Earth Song. We hope you enjoyed this hour of community action. We'd like to thank our guest, research assistant at the Department of Molecular Genetics and Microbiology at UNM, Ravia Khan, and Arturo Sandoval, one of the original founders of Earth Day. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Roberta Rael with production assistance from Barbara Ramirez. And thank you to our interviewers, Madumita Santanam and Victor Torres. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcast, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlist on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation and, of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking Donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. Our last songs of the night include What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong, followed by Mother Earth by Waikiki Kuna. I'm Jackie Nguyen. And I'm Elijah Cage. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Good night, New Mexico, and don't forget to get the vaccine. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world.